Too bad NFL games aren't three quarters instead of four quarters long. Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. Paul Calvisi joins me. We get his front row perspective. Maybe he knows what happened because that was about as dominant first half I've seen the Cardinals play on both sides of the ball and even early in the third quarter. Unfortunately, it's a four-quarter game, and the Cardinals are 0-2. It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 674, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2. Buda Baker, what heart, what threat. This guy's unbelievable. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. He's at the 10, half the 5. He's in again. Some more Murray magic. Wow. Here's Craig Grealoux. Post-game Sunday, I think James Conner said it best. Quote, I'm sick to my stomach. Because, Paul, if week one was a punch to the guts, then week two, you feel like you're about to empty your guts. That's Cardinals, a good one. It's, yep. I don't know what to say. I didn't really know what to say post-game on Cardinal Talk. So now here we are on Monday morning. Because hopefully you have the answers to what happened between the first half and the second half against the Giants. You know, I wish I did. I uh, I was at a loss at times for questions after the game. And then it hit me after the game. You know what? We've all been here and done this, those of us who have been around a while. It was called the 2006 Monday Night Meltdown, yeah. where the Cardinals were up 20 to nothing and a half. Now, totally different circumstances. And the play-by-play and how it transpired, completely different. But when you lose a 20 to nothing halftime lead... History is made, and it was, at least for the Giants. It goes back to, like, 1949, their biggest comeback ever since and all this. So, okay, you start drilling in, and there's nothing mystical at work here. There are two big factors, in my opinion. Number one, the Giants got into absolute desperation mode. They're looking at 0-2 straight in the face with a Thursday night road game at the 49ers with a banged-up offensive line going against that Niners front seven, and they're saying, wow, if history says at 0-2 we have an 11.5% chance of making the playoffs, what does 0-3 mean? You're done. Especially in the NFC East. Yep. Cowboys 2-0, Eagles 2-0, Commanders are (laughs) 2-0. So desperation mode kicked in for the Giants, and the Cardinals failed to match that increased intensity. And then – The other thing that uh, I think was a factor in this one in that second half was the defensive line. You lost your depth. You're already without Leckie Foto and LJ Collier, and you lose Carlos Watkins. Those guys were gassed. Jonathan Ledbetter and Kevin Strong, and they were spelled here and there by um, Eric Banks, practice squad D lineman, and Dante Stills, a six-round rookie making his NFL debut. And it added up. I don't have the analytics in front of me, but what sort of pressure did the Cardinals get midway from the third quarter all the way through the end of the game? It fell off noticeably. Just looking at the snap counts, to your point about the defensive line, Ledbetter and Strong each played 50 snaps, 74% of the game. And then you have to go down. Stills, 18 snaps, Banks, 15, Watkins, 10 before he exited the game in the first half. 
you didn't have that rotation, that healthy rotation like you had in week one where it came in waves, whether it was the defensive line or the outside linebackers, and were able to get consistent pressure or at least affect the quarterback. Now, there is a difference between Sam Howell and Daniel Jones. I think we all know that ahead of time. But it still, to use your word, boggles the mind because that first half was about as dominant as I have seen a Cardinals team play on offense and defense. Not only the score, but total yards. 241 to 81. Cardinals had almost 100 rushing yards in the first half. They were averaging nearly seven yards a play. They had 16 first downs. The Giants just five. And you were feeling good. I mean, there was talk upstairs in the press box, Paul, amongst people like, wow, where has this been? I mean, this is this feels good. This is different. This is a continuation of week one. And then the second half kicked off, and the very first play by the Giants, the 58-yard bomb, whether Marco Wilson was looking for help or not, but he was the man, and it was Jalen Hyatt. 58 yards. Two plays later, Daniel Jones scores. It's 20-7. to But then the Cardinals did have an answer. And you're still, okay, 28-7. to Despite the score, you increased your halftime lead to 21 with 9.34 to go in the game, yet you lose 31-28 because after that, the Cardinals did nothing on offense and the defense couldn't get the Giants off the field. And, and another factor, I'll throw out a couple other factors, beyond just the intensity difference, which was palpable at times down the stretch, they targeted Marco Wilson. I think that was a halftime adjustment. They went after him to start the second half. They gave up the Hodgins, Hodgins touchdown pass at the very end. So they definitely went after number 20. Uh, Keetrell Clark gave up a big one downfield. Now, these were contested catches to some degree, but when Daniel Jones had that much time to operate, and then you saw the speed of Daniel Jones. I don't know if Daniel Jones ran the 40 at the Combine. But there were a couple of plays where Zayvon Collins truly, I think in his mind, thought he had him. He was going to track him and bag him. And Daniel Jones hit another gear and just pulled away down the sideline. He, he has that not just escape ability. He's got some blazing speed. Obviously, you saw it on the touchdown run where everybody crashed and lost contain, Zayvon among them. And then he just scooted out into the end zone. But you're reminded as to what sort of problem Daniel Jones was in that playoff win when the Vikings couldn't stop him. They ran him 17 times in that playoff victory. There was a third and 12 in the third quarter in which Jones scrambled and got 13 yards because he got out of the pocket. And I can't remember the Cardinals defender. It might have been Zayvon Collins or it could have been someone else that was tracking towards Jones. But he got out of bounds, got the first down, drive continued, and another touchdown at the end of that drive. 59 rushing yards for Daniel Jones. He, in the first, excuse me, not the first half. First half, he was pedestrian. He was awful. Second half, though, 259 yards through the air and three scores, two passing, one rushing. So, to your point, Giants, a desperate team. The Cardinals in the locker room after the ball game. Jalen Thompson, quote, I kind of just think we let off the gas a little bit. Kaiser White, quote, as a defense, we just let off the gas. I feel like we got relaxed a little bit. Mm. Well, there you go. And look, I wasn't in the locker room. I was doing the interviews from outside, and so I didn't hear a lot of that. But if they're owning that and that's their diagnosis, then guess what? That goes to the top of the list of things to address going forward because it's under your control. When it comes to effort, intensity, urgency, you saw what it was in the first half. So you come out, and, and you know what? To your point, 
they responded. The offense answered with that touchdown drive to make it 28-7, where James Conner had 53 rushing yards on that drive alone. And then all of a sudden, things changed for the Cardinals' run game. And here's another observation. I didn't watch the film. Paulie Pencilneck never played beyond high school. I'm just going to give you an observation from the sideline. It looked like the Giants' defense, Wink Martindale, went from a lot of two high safety looks the first three quarters of the game, where the Cardinals made him pay, to a one-high safety, and they started loading the box. So I know a lot of Cardinals fans maybe are frustrated by what they view as some conservative play calling and, and the gives to James Conner that didn't net a lot of yards down the stretch. But the Giants actually loaded the box in that one. So in hindsight, and it's always 2020, you wonder, do are the Cardinals looking at their film on a Monday morning saying, wow, there were opportunities downfield in that passing game, especially after they put an extra guy in the box to stop number six, that we should have taken advantage of. Looking at what James Conner did do, and he had an outstanding game as far as an individual performance is concerned, over 100 yards rushing for the second time in his Cardinals career. But that scoring drive, five carries for 53 yards alone. The rest of the game, he had five carries for three yards over the final four drives. To your point, Paul, Wow. the Giants adjusted. And the Cardinals, again, you're playing with the lead, so you like to use the ground ground game to work the clock a little bit and then kind of bide your time. Yet at the same time, are you not paying attention to what's in front of you because you look and maybe Hollywood Brown, who was a big part of the game early in the first half and then quiet in the second half, does he have some more room to run? What about Michael Wilson, who was kind of quiet despite playing a lot of snaps in that ball game? Maybe that, what you always say, adjust to the adjustment and the Cardinals in the second half unable to do so whether it wasn't spotted or they just couldn't do it quick enough and here's the thing Cardinals went into this game knowing they were going to get a lot of man cover that's the MO that's the DNA of a Wink Martindale defense there's a couple of things he's going to try and show you unsound looks he's going to try and make you guess and predict who's coming who's dropping talking to some guys who have played against that scheme for a long time when he was in Baltimore in particular, and there's a lot of guys on this Cardinals team, Dobbs included. When he was with Pittsburgh, used to go against Wink Bartondale. Drew Petzing with Cleveland. So they know what it's all about, and there are a couple of rules. Number one, you stick to your plan. You don't try and predict who's coming, who's dropping, because you're going to get in trouble because then ultimately you're going to guess wrong. Stick to your own fundamentals and rules and your own scheme and the play that's called. Number two, stay out of third and longs. you got to stay out of third and longs against the Wink Martindale defense. And I think I heard you say on the air that there were some numbers particular to that, just like in week one. Cardinals got in an inordinate number of third and longs, and they were not successful. Cardinals overall on third down on Sunday, four of ten. Half of those... So five times they were looking at third and 10 or long. And that has become a troublesome stat over these first two games. And look, it's a small sample size, but being better on first and second down was something that was talked about a week ago. And you want to be able to stay out of third and long. Yet now through two games, Cardinals have had 24 third down opportunities. Almost half of those, 11, have looked third and 10 or more, and the Cardinals are one of 11 in such situations. Wow. It shows you, A, the degree of difficulty, third and 10 plus, and B, especially when you have 
a quarterback who was making his fourth career start and has spent three weeks with the team and the system, guess what? It's going to be even more difficult in that situation. Now, that's not to say that Josh Dobbs didn't deliver on everything he said after the Washington loss when he stood in front of the media and said, I expect a huge jump. And then on Wednesday, he said from week to week, it's been night and day. Guess what? He was right. Now, if you want to quibble, because that's what we do in the media, we can go back to the first possession. And the missed potential yeah. touchdown shot to Zach Ertz. He was none too happy when he came to the sideline. He was frustrated, slammed his gloves, sat down all by himself, staring at his shoe tops. Josh Dobbs came over, I think, recognized the frustration on the face of Zach Ertz because obviously they failed to connect for a touchdown, what should have been a touchdown in week one at Washington. And he reached out his hand. You know, they shook hands, but Ertz was frustrated. Now he got into the game plan a little bit later. But when you look back at that first possession, they came up empty. Matt Prater missed a 55-yard field goal. And you just, after that first possession, that missed opportunity for a touchdown to Zach Ertz, you just said to yourself, man, I hope they're not chasing that the rest of the game. And then when he got up 20 to nothing, 28 to 7, you completely forgot about it. But by the end of the game, I couldn't help thinking about that first possession. That play gets made if Josh Dobbs is here in March because the Cardinals were interested in Dobbs at the start of free agency. That play gets made if Dobbs is even here at the start of training camp. In other words, that play gets made when a quarterback and a pass catcher, in this case a tight end, have reps in practice, consistent reps. Dobbs has practiced, what, maybe six, seven, eight times? And that includes yeah. Zach Ertz being still maybe not quite 100% coming off that ACL, MCL injury. So, yeah, that's a play that, Five weeks from now, gets made. But when you do not have those, and this is not an excuse, it's just a fact, and why it was such a huge hill to climb for Dobbs to come in and think he was just going to move this offense up and down the field. But as you pointed out a year ago, from week 17 to week 18, and now from week one to week two, there was improvement from Josh Dobbs. What you saw in that first half looked very, very good to where you're comfortable and having Dobbs out there and waiting for Kyler Murray when, if he does come back, Dobbs had master of that offense and was getting the ball on time and to the right people and showed some physicality as well. Oh. That touchdown run, and Xavier McKinney might still be feeling that hit at the three-yard line here on this Monday morning. First career rushing touchdown for Dobbs, that made it 14 to nothing. but someone that was not afraid of some physicality to make sure that ball crossed the goal line. Boom goes the free safety. That's what happened on that one. And you know what? What does that say to the entire sideline? If a guy who wears the non-contact jersey six days a week can sacrifice his body like that, can turn himself into a full-speed battering ram, what that says to the sideline is, oh, I better bring my own physicality. In fact, I'll tell you this much, James Conner on the sideline, was about as fired up, was probably the only guy more fired up than Josh Dobbs at the Josh Dobbs 23-yard touchdown run and the kaboom at the goal line, which, by the way, reminded me, did it not, of Larry Fitzgerald, his final season at Seattle, when he caught the ball at about the 10 at Seattle, and there was one man between him and the goal line, and it was K.J. Wright. And Larry just lowered the boom on K.J. Wright and went straight through the weak side linebacker right into the end zone. That's what it reminded me of, Josh Dobbs. Anyway, I get sidetracked. There's James Conner on the sideline pointing to his head and yelling out some words, which, just reading lips, 
I think he was shouting out, it's a mindset. It's a mindset. Talking about physicality. And then that's when James Conner started ripping off some of those ultra-physical runs and getting up and flexing and getting – if nothing else, that touchdown run by Dobbs definitely fired up the Cardinals team captain at running back. It's – Something to be said when you see that and then hear the comments post game because I know not only addressing the media post game but addressing you on post game as well, Paul, the head coach, Jonathan Gannon, putting this loss on his shoulders, on his and the coaching staff's shoulders, getting out coached. That may well be the case that not enough adjustments were made in that game, but just getting the sense from some of the post game comments that I heard, this falls on players' shoulders and the lack of execution because let's talk a little bit about the play calling because we did get calls on that on Cardinal Talk. Of course you did. To be expected, did the Cardinals get conservative late in the game? And initially, yeah, me and Rob Fredrickson talking and talking to fans, yeah, you could – it seemed like it was a little bit more conservative on the surface. But then I went back this morning because I just want to point out The last two possessions, not counting the end of game drive, you get the ball at the 20-yard line with 15 seconds and no timeout. So forget that. But the last two possessions, Cardinals go three and out, net minus one yard. First drive lasts 80 seconds. The second drive lasts less than two minutes. But it's what happened in those two drives. And it's not, I don't think, the play calling, more about the play execution and just not being disciplined enough as an offense. All right, the first three and out. Incomplete pass, Connor one-yard run. And then Yelda Froholt gets called for a false start and a legal snap. Mm. So a third and nine becomes a third and 14. And now you're playing from behind the sticks, and that just – third and nine's not great, but a third and 14 is even worse. And on that play, a short pass, the Mercado goes for three yards. Now, you could question whether that ball should have gone deeper than just underneath for three yards – but I think when you got the lead, and at that point it was 28-21, you might be trying to play that field position game and put it, put the onus on the defense a little bit. You know what? I'm kicking myself. Yelda Froholt was our postgame guest on the Cardinals radio network. I did not ask him about the illegal snap. I know it's sort of minutia in the game. It was a big play at the time. And I happen to be standing right on the line of scrimmage, right behind the down judge. So I'm looking right down the line of scrimmage. And the way I described it on the air, because we're all trying to figure out what was the call and why was the flag thrown, Yelda Froho walked up, never even got set, didn't even get down in a three-point stance completely, walked up and snapped it. He was still like in mid-motion, striding to the ball and snapped it, bent over. It's almost like in, in baseball, a pitcher doesn't come set and they call the balk. It was like the balk version of being a center and snapping the ball. And so immediately the down judge threw the flag. And it was something I've never really seen before. I don't know. They were trying to get an edge, trying to get an advantage. Let's get on the ball and snap it real quick. Um, but, yeah, that and then, of course, there were more offensive line penalties in the next possession. Yeah, another three and out. Again, Nets minus one yard. This one lasts less than two minutes, and the game is tied now at 28. But a Connor one-yard run, another Connor three-yard run. So you're looking at third and six, which is – Perfectly manageable and doable. Yet what happens? Elijah Wilkinson, back-to-back false star penalties. So a third and six becomes a third and 16. And you're forced to basically just kind of give up on that drive. And there's a short pass to Zach Ertz for five yards. So to me, it wasn't so much the play calling. 
it was the play execution, but more than that was the offensive line getting called for three false start penalties. There was a Hollywood Brown illegal screen play in the second quarter that negated another chunk throw. So once again, for the second straight week, we're talking about the Cardinals hurting themselves with penalties. There were only eight on Sunday, but five by the offense in the second half alone. And each one of those five, actually the fifth one was that Josh Dobbs false start, which I'm not even counting at that last final drive, but four faults or four offensive penalties in that second half that directly hampered the Cardinals trying to get anything going after that initial touchdown to Hollywood Brown that made it 28-7. to There's another possession that I, I think deserves a little scrutiny. It was at the end of the first half. JT had the interception. Jalen Thompson off the Kaiser deflection. Actually, it was just off the hands of, of, the, uh, of the player and then boom, into the arms of Jalen Thompson. So then the Cardinals came out. They had first intended the 34 of the Giants, and all of a sudden they're looking, I think it was third and 11, maybe it was third and six. Uh, I'll have to go back and look. And they remember that was the one where they gave to Amari DiMercato, and it's almost like they just sort of gave up on the drive and said, let's just take the field goal. To me, it was, okay, could you have made more of an attempt to be more aggressive right there on that third down that resulted in just sort of a, uh, you know, position the ball here for Matt Prater to come out. Let's give it to Amari DiMercato. On that one, I just wondered if they regretted that in hindsight, not trying to be more aggressive in that third down at the end of the first half. Two points. One, that was another drive that a Michael Wilson offensive pass interference was called, so it mm. got you behind the sticks. But gotcha. to your point about the play call, it was something that Dave Pash and Ron Wolfley talked about in real time on the broadcast. Wolf more so about a little bit, not, I wouldn't say he was upset, but just kind of wondering in real time, why would you, to your point, kind of give up right there and just kind of settle for something? If you're comfortable at that point with Matt Prater, then why not take a deep shot to try to get that first down on third and long and try to get some extra points on the scoreboard before you go into the locker room? Instead, it's a 44-yard field goal. Yeah, And again, it was third and 11. I just looked it up. So there's another one of those third and 10-plus that the Cardinals have not been successful at so far this year. What was it? They're one for 11 and third and 10 plus in two games? Correct. So obviously that goes near the top of the list. Uh, you have to try and figure that out. And I know Josh Dobbs got up there after the game and, and, and talked about the ability to finish. But every single game in the NFL is an accumulation of every single play. Now, do the good teams find a way at the end of these games to win? Absolutely. You have a Giants team that went to the playoffs last year. They were 8-4 and four in one-score games. A Vikings team that a year ago went 11-0 and in one-score games. Do you know who actually played a lot of one-score games and ended up on the wrong end? The Houston Texans last year played like nine one-score games and were they were like 1-8. So you can say you're close, but that's only on the scoreboard. That's life in the NFL. Nearly 60% of the games in the NFL come down to a single score or less. You have to figure out a way to win those one-score games. It almost reminds me of the first year of Ken Wisenhunt in 2007. Cardinals played a lot of close games that year. Ended up on the short end, especially the first two months of the year. It's a process. A lot of players don't like to hear it. you got to learn to win. Well, it's not so much learn to win. It's learn the best practices and habits that contribute to a win. Like maintaining your intensity for four quarters. Like not beating yourself with some of the self-inflicted flags and other mental errors. 
that all goes into the equation under the umbrella of learning to win. It's a four-quarter game. It's not a two-quarter game. It's not even a three-quarter game. It's a full four quarters, 60 minutes, and for a lot of these young players, yeah, there is that learning curve, if you will, but it is something that is very difficult to do in the National Football League, and that is win. Heading into tonight's Monday Night Football doubleheader, 10 one-score games in Week 2. And the Cardinals on the wrong end of back-to-back one-score losses in each of the first two weeks. They've lost two games by a combined seven points. So, yeah, on the scoreboard, they're right there. They're competitive. And I'll say this, as much as Sunday hurt, that was a competitive ball game. Cardinals have looked good at times. I don't think they've been able to put it together for a full four quarters to what we were talking about earlier. But this is not the same old Cardinals. This is not the Cardinals of 2022. This is a team that will fight, but I still think is trying to learn on what it takes to do it for 60 minutes. And even when you have a lead, there is no lead safe in the NFL. Think of last year, all the slow starts and zero production or points in the first quarter and trailing at halftime. Think all those situations a year ago. So this is totally unlike what you saw a year ago in the Cardinals. It's not the same team, not even close. The mentality is different. Now, have you suffered from a lack of talent at times? You want to talk about the defense in the second half where the Giants had five possessions. They had four touchdown drives and a game-winning field goal. There was nothing crazy that went on. There wasn't like we talked about the Monday night meltdown once upon a time, 2006. There wasn't a punt return by Devin Hester. There wasn't a crazy Edron James fumble out of nowhere that got returned. None of that happened. So you have to wonder, okay, I started by saying the D-line depth was compromised in a big way. And you knew going into the season that might be your leanest position room on the roster. And now you're down the three starters. And then I don't think it's been mentioned nearly enough. How much did you miss Buda Baker, especially when the game was hanging in the balance in crunch time? How much did you miss a Buda Baker trying to stop Saquon Barkley? There were that second to last drive by the Giants where he's breaking arm tackles. Does Buda Baker bring him down in space? Is Buda Baker, as you couldn't get to Daniel Jones, especially in the fourth quarter, is he deployed on a safety blitz? Is he utilized as a pass rusher off the edge coming out of the slot or something like that? Uh, you know, I didn't even ask the head coach about it after the game, and, and it merits a mention at the very least. Didn't think about it in the first half. There were just the yeah. opposite thoughts like, oh, this is good. You don't need Buda Baker. Of course you need Buda Baker. Question, though, as we speak here Monday morning, Paul, is when will we see number three on the field again? Nothing definitive. I don't think you're going to get anything definitive from the head coach later on Monday, but there is some real concern. One, even though you saw Buda Baker's name on the injury report on Friday, Buda Baker doesn't miss games. He plays through a lot. High ankle sprain, a bad shoulder. And then the inactives get announced, and Buda Baker shows up on it. So you know it's serious. And then the fact that, and we talked about it during the Arizona Cardinals NFL kickoff show with Darren and Danny, what moves are made before the game on Saturday that can tell us what really is going on? And when you see Andre Sachere signed, not elevated, but signed to the active roster, now you've got four safeties, three of them healthy, Sastre started, played nearly the entire game. Is that leading us to think that this might be a short-term, hopefully not a long-term 
situation in which Buda Baker is not going to be available? And the answer is we don't know. The fact Buda Baker was not spotted at the game, what does that mean exactly? Is he somewhere else getting treatment? Did he have to go out of town to see some sort of specialist? I have no idea. It's abject speculation at this point. But I saw other players on the injured list down on that sideline. So what does that mean? Don't know. Do know that Buda Baker proclaimed himself in the best shape of his career before this season started. I do know, and you were right there, we were talking with him leading into the Week 2 game, and he kind of made half a joke about the Week 1 game of Washington. He didn't do a whole bunch. The front seven was was so good, was flying to the ball, Kaiser White and, and the outside linebackers, that he said, how many times did I drop into coverage? Oh, there's another sack. Oh, there's another quarterback hit. Oh, there's uh, Sam Howell throwing the ball away. They're not even coming my way. So once again, to come full circle on our point, you don't need Buda Baker until you need Buda Baker, until you need a game-saving play, until you need somebody to make a play with the game hanging in the balance. And that time was the fourth quarter of this week two loss to the Giants. After the game, Buda Baker did reach out on social media, quote, that was a tough one. The guys fought hard. Wish I could have been out there with my bros. My time will come. God's plan go cards and that was the extent of Buda Baker the other situation we kind of talked around about the defensive line because LJ Collier on IR with a biceps injury Duh. and now Carlos Watkins hurts in that first half with a biceps injury and sometimes I don't know what it is but there always seems to be a position group and a specific injury that always seems to hit a team each and every year, and perhaps it's the defensive line of the Cardinals and an arm injury. And again, serious enough for Collier to go on IR, which is at least four weeks. And the way Gannon was talking post game, it's probably going to be longer than that, hopefully not season ending. But now Carlos Watkins gets hurt with another arm injury. See, I didn't know exactly the nature of the injury on Carlos Watkins. But it makes sense because he came to the sideline. He, he didn't seem to be in a lot of pain, and he was walking fine. So I was kind of perplexed, like, what's going on exactly? It was the very end of the first half, and then to start the second half, we were informed of the injury. And so, yeah, that's not good. That is not good at all. Once again, that was already you're probably arguably the position group with the least amount of depth to start this season. And so, and I'll tell you what, knock on wood, Cardinals dodged a bullet with a Keytrol Clark injury oh, yeah. in the second half. That looked really bad. He came to the sideline. He walked right past me, Craig. He The look of anguish on his face, and he immediately went down once he got to the sideline, and they're working on that leg, and it was in the area of the knee. And I'm like, oh, no, please, no. Football gods, give us a break over here. And they put him into the blue tent, the medical tent, and then he popped out, started going into backpedals. I have no idea. I'm curious exactly what happened. Maybe he got kicked in the shin El Grande. I don't know. But then he eventually was back out on the field on the next defensive series. So thank goodness, Eric, because that's the next thinnest position group corner. It was an injury because he didn't come all the way to the bench initially because that was a play into the end zone where he gets hurt yep. and he immediately just goes to that basically where you stand yep. on the sideline. You're not in the bench area and he's on the on the ground, and you're like, what is going on? He couldn't make it to the bench. And then eventually he does, and you're seeing him out of the blue tent, and he's working with the training staff doing backpedals, and you're like, okay, I guess everything's okay. <laughs> now, how does he feel today? Because obviously there was no imaging during the game. He never even left the field of play. So you wonder, and hopefully he's okay, because, yeah, that's a concern, especially with how poor Marco Wilson played. If your number one corner 
is not playing well and your number two corner is less than 100%. We haven't brought it up yet, Paul, but the Dallas Cowboys are a pretty good football team. (laughs) C.D. Lamb had over 100 receiving yards on Sunday against the Jets. So we can get more into that later in the week, but this now is a huge challenge ahead, and we knew it was going to be. That's why these first two games, as close as the Cardinals played and as well as they played, where you just needed some semblance of positivity or validation of what this coaching staff has been coaching and preaching. After the game, Omar Ruiz, NFL Network, did a one-on-one with Micah Parsons. He said, when did you know you were going to take over this game? Micah Parsons said, Monday. So he's playing with a lot of confidence. Let's put it that way. And so far, he's playing like the NFL Defensive Player of the Year. He he looks, dare I say it, hello now, he looks like a modern-day LT out there. Uh, he is wreaking havoc wherever they put him, and it looks like they put him anywhere and everywhere in that front seven. He is an X factor to the nth degree. And so you got to account for Micah Parsons. That defense has been utterly dominant. you got to figure that out. And then, yeah, the Cardinals on defense with a depleted defensive line with some question marks at corner. Uh, We have seen Dak Prescott, when he gets hot, when he gets hot, he can be hot and cold, there's no doubt about it. But there is a lot to worry about. Dallas still has a stout enough offensive line, not what it used to be. And with Pollard coming in at running back, there's a lot to account for in this game. And guess what? You're going to have a Dallas team that travels. There's no question about that, too. Yeah, which I need to ask because I could hear it from my press box seat, which is behind plexiglass, and I mentioned the Elijah Wilkinson back-to-back false start penalties there late in the fourth quarter. Just how loud was it? And again, fans can do whatever they want to do. Yet at the same time, you shouldn't have to rely on a silent count at your own home building, a la the L.A. Rams, which that seems to be a weekly occurrence. There's no doubt it was a factor against the Cardinals offense in fact I saw Wilkinson after the second false start point to his ear hole as if I'm having trouble hearing so there's no doubt it factored in it uh whether Cardinals went into a silent count or not I don't know if they did it would make sense based on the volume level and once again you gave the Giants fans in attendance reason to cheer they were silent they were, it, was like, it was like a golf match minus the Phoenix Open. It was like a golf tournament in the first half. They were so silent. They had nothing to cheer about virtually. So once you gave them a reason to get into the game, the fans, uh, guess what? It just helped build the momentum of the Giants. And uh, sure, and, But once again, I get back to the intensity. When they were looking at 0-2 in the facing on Thursday night road trip to the 49ers, they're staring at 0-3. That's when all of a sudden uh, the urgency kicked in for the Giants. Giants win 31-28. Cardinals outscored 31-8 in the second half. And yeah, Cardinals 0-2 for the first time since 2018 with the Dallas Cowboys coming to town next. A road trip to San Francisco on October 1st. And then after four weeks, we'll reevaluate where potentially Kyler Murray may or may not be. Remember, he's got to miss the first four games at least before there's any talk of him returning for the Cardinals. So that's kind of where we are at right now. But I know, Paul, because we've waited and the Bird Gang has waited so long, but Mm. I do think we have to pay it off. And this is going to be a weekly occurrence, win or lose, but the weekly Angry Bird Award, as you now have it, and there's a beautiful picture up on social media as well, courtesy our team photographer, Caitlin, that now 
maybe not presented to a player, but at least going to be displayed each and every week. So it's given to the most hellacious play or player. In week one, it was given to the most hellacious player in Dennis Gardak, the Barbarian. In week two, we're giving it to the most hellacious play, which has to be the quarterback, Josh Dobbs, and going kaboom at the goal line, taking out the free safety and finishing that 23-yard touchdown run. So here we go. The Angry Bird Award will be given via social media, all right, in honor only to Josh Dobbs, your quarterback. Uh, Now, if he also ends up getting a scepter from NFL (laughs) Network, I would not be surprised as well because there's no doubt he got props from James Conner on the sideline, a two-time scepter award winner who, by the way, doesn't really even display a scepter. I asked James Conner about that once. What is the deal with the scepter? Do you have him? He's like, no, I got him in a closet somewhere. I'm like, come on. Oh, so do you actually get to keep him? You're not asked to send him I, back no, to Kyle Brandt. They, so you get him. They send okay. you one out. It might not be. It's sort of like a, um, you know, the Super Bowl ring given to, like, the third-string <laughs> long snapper. They might give you one that's worth a lot less than, the, than goes to the franchise quarterback, but you get one. Okay. That's my understanding. And that specific play did capture the attention of Kyle Brandt. He was very quick on social media, on Twitter, to mention that highlight. And so we'll have to wait and see. There was also, and I can't remember the running back, but he doesn't do it for college. But did you happen to see the play on Saturday? An LSU running back just truck over a defensive back. It was one of the most vicious stiff arms I've seen since Derrick Henry. Mm. But it basically pushed the defender back about three or four yards. It was... It was trending a little bit on Saturday during the entire college football slate. You know what? I'm going to have to go look at that because I made the mistake of investing my Saturday evening into watching the (laughs) ASU game. So I need something worthwhile to watch. I'm going to go find that clip. What about the Golden Bears? (laughs) No? Well, I'm not Pauly Pac-12 Network, so that actually saved me from actually investing time into watching a game against Idaho. So we didn't, didn't, nobody really needed that on a Saturday night. So actually in that one instance there, I was actually thankful I don't get the Pac-12 network. So well, we always want yeah. to leave this show with yeah. some positivity. Yeah. Syracuse is 3-0. So we'll just, oh, we'll just oh, no. drop that in there for oh, everyone no. that cares, which is basically no one except for, you know, yeah. Garrett Williams and Nolan Cooney in that Cardinals locker room. Oh, and Dave Pash and uh, Quentin Harris in the front office. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. By the way, we could use Garrett Williams. When oh, is, yeah, I know. I mean, what does your Syracuse you know, uh, network say? I mean, all those Two insiders. More games at least. All those network insiders with Syracuse, you guys just have your little Syracuse mafia going all the time. Start hitting up all your sources. What's the, what's the timetable on Garrett Williams? Because they could use some help at corner right now. Oh, yeah. Sooner, yeah. hopefully, instead of later for Garrett Williams and the rest of the injuries facing the Cardinals. So, again, not great, but certainly some things to build upon and obviously correct before the Cardinals host the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday. And on that note, we'll put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Omohundro, our associate producer, Cody Fincher. For Paul Calvisi, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2.